the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Today, we are delighted to have in studio the man who made sure our armed forces were ready for war and then made sure our veterans were treated properly. He's now a distinguished fellow with the America First Policy Institute and the man who he has this strategic chair, if you will, at Newsmax, our good friend, the Honorable former Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Robert Wilkie. Welcome back. In Thank Singapore. you, sir. My grandfather told me that honorable title in 60 cents would get you right on a New Orleans bus. So, uh, <laughs> it might you. be a little bit more than That's 70 right. cents. That's right. right. Thank, no, thank you for using. Okay. Um, we don't... We, I try to shoot politics on the manhood hour, but I'm, I can't leave geopolitics out of the equation because, well, I'll, I'll give you a metric. I was in Oxford for a debate on President Trump's return, and it was 11 minutes that I had. And the last sentence is the one that seems to have resonated with so many people. There's over a million views on YouTube on the Oxford Union. And that sentence was, when President Trump was in the Oval Office, our friends felt safe and our enemies were afraid. I kind of borrowed that line from the Marine Corps, but I use it to juxtapose what we are witnessing today. Last week, the leader of the opposition, as was, who was arrested sitting in a Siberian gulag, the day after he was seen on a video call, absolutely healthy, died in one of Putin's gulags. Here's a reminder of what the current incumbent of the White House said in the summer of 2021. Play cut. Mr. President, just a quick follow on the same theme of consequences. You said just now that you spoke to him a lot about human rights. What did you say would happen if opposition leader Alexei Navalny dies? I made it clear to him that I believe the, the consequences of that would be devastating for Russia. I'll go back to the same point. What do you think happens when he's saying it's not about hurting Navalny, this, all the stuff he says to rationalize the treatment of Navalny? And then he dies in prison. I pointed out to him that it matters a great deal. Well, in, in parenting, I'm sure you're aware of, where if you say to your son, if you pull your sister's hair again, there will be consequences. And he does, and there aren't any. There's chaos. Now, it sounds like an oversimplification, but doesn't that hold for geopolitical statements of promises? Absolutely. And look at the history. And we'll start with uh, Obama. How many red lines were crossed? Um, announced red lines yeah. in Syria and nothing happened. Um, and, and there's a reason Putin endorsed Joe Biden for president. He said he's predictable. Well, he's predictably weak when it comes to the Russian Federation and the dictator. Um, nothing will happen. 
This is another empty threat. And, and you know the contrast between Mr. Obama and Mr. Biden and Mr. Blinken with Donald Trump. At most, you got one warning with Mr. Trump. <laughs> right. The second time, people disappeared. Yeah. And this sounds like some sort of mafia uh, exercise. No. Uh, Wagner mercenaries disappeared. The head of the world's largest terrorist network disappeared. And two of the three great malevolent actors on the planet went into a hole. Um, empty threats make America look weak. It makes us look ripe for the pickings. And I believe we are in what Churchill would call an hour of maximum danger. And that hour will stretch for another nine months uh, while this president and his secretary of state and his secretary of defense are off. I'll, I'll say one other thing about um, the gangsters' timing. Uh, today is Meaning Putin. Putin. You mean uh, uh, for what happened, the news on Friday? Well, yes. Um, I'm not surprised, and I, I would not be surprised if when there is an after-action report done, that Putin timed this for the Munich Security Conference. Explain the significance of the Munich meeting, the Verkunde. So the Munich Security Conference is held in Munich for a reason. Uh, most people forget why, but it's held there because Munich was the site of the most notorious act of appeasement in history. As, as Churchill said before uh, Mr. Chamberlain signed away and, and Deladier signed away the life of Czechoslovakia. You had a choice between war and dishonor. You have chosen dishonor and you will get war. The, the peace in our time, peace in waving our time. The, the piece of paper. Um, so Munich has a very special meaning. And it was really the guiding force for an entire generation of presidents, starting with Mr. Truman, uh, certainly Eisenhower and Kennedy, Nixon. Uh, Johnson really, uh, yes, he did play, play lip service to it through Vietnam. Um, so it's important. It's an important symbol. And this is where heads. Well, this is where heads you know, of state and, and defense secretaries defense meet annually. Uh, but who's there representing the United States today? And you know, Putin knows it. Yeah. Uh, someone that all of the intelligence chiefs on the planet have already told their bosses: this person is more incompetent than the president of the United States, and that is our vice president. Um, she was sent. I don't know to do what to shore up her, her credentials, which are so thin they're darn near invisible. Well, probably to discuss Venn diagrams. Venn diagrams. Um, and talk about the two-state solution, uh, which is another calumny that this administration has imposed on America's friends. Uh, and she you know, gave a couple of canned paragraphs on this death and then went on to things that this administration cares about, placating uh, Iranians, placating Iranian proxies, uh, trying to get rid of Netanyahu. People forget um, Barack Obama spent a billion dollars of taxpayers' funds trying to undermine Benjamin Netanyahu. He sent his camp, for those who forget, he sent his campaign advisors. Yes to advise the opposition in Israel how to remove the incumbent prime minister. That's right. That's right. And um, that tells you what these people are about. 
there's so many wrong sides of history that they're on that it's actually hard to enumerate them. Um, but this is the Churchill, I don't use it lightly, this is a moment of maximum danger. Um, and you see individuals like Biden and Blinken who are so cowed by Mr. Putin. They've got Putin in their head. And it sort of reminds me of something that, forgive me for getting obtuse, there's a great scene in the, the first two days of the ferocious battle of the wilderness. Grant's up against Lee for the first time, as Bruce Catton said, the clash of titans. And in two days, both of his flanks have caved in and his center's about to go. And he's got nothing, nothing but generals saying, Bobby Lee's going to do this and Bobby Lee's going to do that. And he had come from the West where he'd been successful. And he said, look, I'm tired of hearing about Bobby Lee. You think he's going to do a double somersault, land in our rear and on both flanks. Why don't you start thinking about what you're going to do to him? Mm -hmm. Bring up some guns. It was magnificent. Um, And this is what is in the mind of of the the, the so-called leaders of our nation, that Putin's going to somehow pull a rabbit out of his hat and blow the entire world up. One other thing, this nonsense about... The, the panic over space issue. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Oh, can we hold that? Yeah, we can hold that. The next segment, because we actually have a cut exactly uh, on that issue. How concerned are you about the anti-satellite capability that Russia is developing? And what is your administration planning to do in response? First of all, there is no nuclear threat to the people of America or anywhere else in the world with what Russia is doing at the moment, number one. Number two, anything that they're doing and or they will do relates to satellites and space and damaging those satellites potentially. Number three, I, there is no evidence that they have made a decision to go forward with doing anything in space either. So what we found out, there was a capacity to launch a system into space that could theoretically do something that was damaging. Hadn't happened yet, and uh, my expect my, my hope is it will not. My hope is that it will not. It hasn't happened yet. We're told there is no nuclear threat from Russia because that's weird. They have thousands of warheads, and I don't think they're targeting Vanuatu or uh, Trinidad and Tobago. That was the alleged commander-in-chief on Friday after... 72 hours of hair on fire on Capitol Hill about a, a new threat from Russia from space. I, if you try to imagine, Secretary, all the things not to say in public 
about a potential threat, I couldn't imagine a better exemplar of what not to say. So let's go back to the, the question you asked at the beginning about President Trump. This was precisely the reason that the president insisted over the objection of many in the Pentagon to create a space force. Yes. He came into office and he knew that the Chinese had shot down a disintegrating satellite. And he believed that the Air Force, because of its dual mission, space and the thin air, that there needed to be a component that focused solely on space. By thin air, we're meaning the stratosphere. And fighters and bombers, conventional air force. And that's why the Space Force was created. Not heralding what we knew the threats were and what would what were to be, what was to be. And at least when I left the cabinet, uh, they were on a trajectory to counter and actually, without going into too, too much detail, uh, address this threat. I have absolutely no doubt that this administration has fallen on its face on this issue, just as it has uh, on others. They're so worried about provoking well, okay, you, Putin, Putin has been provoked and he's lost 350,000 people in Ukraine. Um, yet he keeps winning the psychological battle. And if I can paraphrase Napoleon, in modern times, the psychological is to the physical is three is to one. And this president is the one. Yeah. Um, Putin is running circles around him. Um, I'll say this, and, and the, we have to look at history, which I know Biden and Blinken don't understand. Um, one thing has not changed in Russia. I, and I can't remember if it was a Dostoevsky or something. They called it a, a prison of peoples. Mm-hmm. But even as different regimes had come and gone, the one constant, if you look at the, at the Romanovs, it was the Okhrana, their secret police, yeah. just brutal. And then comes Iron Felix, Dzerzhinsky, and the Cheka, and then Beria and the NKVD. These were the most sophisticated murderers on the planet. And then KGB and then Dropoff. And now SVR, FSB. With Putin. Um, The economies may, may collapse, what have you. This is the one constant. And they are playing games at a level that the likes of Joe Biden... Anthony Blinken, in your former country, uh, David Cameron, uh, the, the current foreign secretary and former prime minister, are not capable of grasping. And Putin is winning that battle. Can I ask you, I have to address how that paucity of understanding is also reflected amongst putative conservatives uh, you know, among, in the MAGA camp. But how do all the people you've listed, let's start there for a second, it's, it's not possible to forget this because the Cold War wasn't exactly a thousand years ago. No. So w- why is the fact that Russia is run by a former KGB colonel who was also cross-accredited to the Stasi, which is just as bad, the East oh, German equivalent, if not... Evil. So h- how, is, how is it not understood by people who have the policy-making power that this matters, who your adversary is and what they did to their fellow citizens 
is a factor. Do you have any theory as to how it's memory hold? Well, you know, if you look at the history of the Republican Party, in, in reaction to Woodrow Wilson and his excesses, they retreated behind two oceans. And that was the mindset right until Pearl Harbor. The isolationists. Right, the isolationists. Right. After World War II, they came back with a vengeance. And there were people in this country who were so afraid that Bob Taft, who was the Senate leader, and the odds-on favorite to win the Republican nomination, would be elected and would tank NATO and tank everything that Harry Truman had done. That all of a sudden, some very smart people said, we need Ike. And Eisenhower comes. Nixon is his right-hand man. Former Supreme Commander of right. Allied he Forces. Understands. Right. He, he told a great story about awakening to the Soviet threat. He was having a um, polite conversation with Zhukov at the Berlin Victory Parade in 1945. That's the general of the, the Red the Forces. Marshal of the Soviet Union, um, who'd saved Leningrad and Moscow. Um, and Ike was just perplexed. How did your tank divisions get through those minefields that were 10 miles deep? And Zhukov said, oh, it was very easy. I sent many divisions of infantry in ahead of my tanks. Mm-hmm. And Ike's eyes got this wide because he then realized what he would be facing and what America would be facing in the future. And that's lost on this crowd. Right. Um, but um, you know, since the beginning, we've had people who, who, are de- who are deceived by cultural issues that impact America, and they transpose them on other cultures. The most glaring being the, the place of the Russian Orthodox Church. The Russian Orthodox Church, for the most part, at least the leadership, the leadership and I'm sure there are many good priests in the world, has been part and parcel of first the Romanovs, then the communists. It's a junior partner in the state. Right. In, in orthodox countries, if, if you've been to an orthodox country, the mayor walks into the church with the orthodox mm-hmm. priest. Right. Why? Right. Because there is no separation of church and state. There is not. And most of the orthodox patriarchs, the metropolitans, right. have been on the payroll of Soviet secret police, right. Russian secret police. Putin uses them as stooges. We know what their backgrounds are. Um, people have criticized Zelensky for cracking down on some of the Russian churches because they're hotbeds of, uh, of sedition. Uh, but that goes to another problem that you pointed out in your question, that people have just, if, they, if they knew history at all, they've certainly forgotten it. Now, um, let's drop down on this issue just for three minutes, if, if I may, uh, Secretary Wilkie. Because you talked about transposing cultural questions from our milieu over to other countries where they they don't actually translate. Here's a clip from Tucker Carlson after his uh, interview with uh, Vladimir Putin. Play cut. The average person cares as much about abstractions as about the concrete reality of his life. And if you can't use your subway, for example, as many people are afraid to in New York City because it's too dangerous, you have to sort of wonder, like, isn't that the ultimate measure of leadership? 
And that's true, by the way, it's radicalizing for an American to go to Moscow, I didn't know that, I've learned it this week, to Singapore, to Tokyo, to Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Because these cities, no matter how we're told they're run and on what principles they're run, are wonderful places to live. That don't have rampant inflation, where you're not going to get raped. So to say that, that Moscow is a wonderful city because there's no crime and the subways are clean, I understand that transposed to San Francisco or Los Angeles, but, but there's something special about Russia. People don't die in prison because they were leaders of the opposition and don't get poisoned as former SVR agents because they said something bad about their former boss. The, I, I'm trying to make a connection here. Please assist me if you can. How is it that conservatives who love this country, who are horrified at what happened to, let's say, January 6th protesters, who may have committed a misdemeanor trespass and then are held in prison for two years before a bail hearing, and they don't make the connection that that's just a mirror image of what Putin does in Russia to the opposition. So the Biden DOJ is using tools similar to Putin's justice system. Is that a difficult comparison to make? Well, his comparison is just nonsensical. Um, Go back to what I said earlier. Russia as a a prison of peoples. Um, People are dragged out of their beds. People are dragged out of university classes. Uh, There is no dissent. Um, There are gulags in existence, uh, almost on a Soviet scale, um, only matched by the Chinese version of the gulags in the People's Republic. Um, sure, you can have order, the, the, the Putin-type order, but that means that those things that Americans prize uh, don't exist. Right. Free association, free speech. But, the, the, but this isn't brain surgery level analysis. No. This is pretty this is cloud prosaic. Cuckoo, right, and this is cloud cuckoo land. From uh, It's like the Paul Robeson line when he went to Moscow in, I think, 1932 or 33, and he was palling around with our ambassador, Joseph Davis, who wrote this horrible piece of propaganda called Mission to Moscow. Yes. Which somebody made into a movie. Yes. And they both said, well, we've been to the future. We've seen it. They were only allowed to see what they were allowed to see. Yeah. Well, and that the cocktail parties, the, the likes of Walter Durante were, was holding. Uh, absolutely. Right. And, um, I mean, Lenin was right. We were going to win because the West is full of dupes. You know, in Britain, it was the, the, the Cliveden set with Lady Astor and all of her friends and George Bernard Shaw, all of the, uh, the Bertrand Russells of the world. The useful idiots. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I'm so glad there's somebody out there who, <laughs> who sees that we are in a, a t- an effective time warp, that the, the useful idiots have returned, or, or maybe those who are just willing propagandists for a regime that is using the tools we are lambasting Joe Biden's Department of Justice for using against President Trump. If you're horrified at what President Trump is going through at the hands of the Department of Justice, how can you be, how can you be America first and pro-Putin? It makes no sense at all. Yes. The, the, the NKVD chief for Stalin, one of the most ruthless killers, show me the man and I will show you the crime. 
whether it's Manafort, Bannon, President Trump, the pro-life preacher outside of Philadelphia, it's Leventi Beria. Show me the man and I will find you the crime. All right, as ever, this is flying by far too quickly. <laughs> we are so grateful to have your regular support, uh, Secretary Wilkie. Yeah. You want to talk about the Secretary of State? Oh, my gosh, absolutely. So uh, I couldn't believe this report. You showed it to me in the green room previously. This is from Nash- National, National Review. Review. has the memo that our Secretary of State was working on as Americans were dying in the Middle East. And it's obvious that his priorities are right on. Let's, let's read the headline. Put it up again, Eric, and I'll, I'll read it for the listeners. Exclusive. Blinken, Secretary of State, cautioned the State Department staff against, quote, misgendering and using gendered terms like father in official cable, including, you read it to me, it's offensive now to use the phrase ladies and gentlemen. And this was born... Don't start your speeches with ladies and gentlemen. This was born the day after our troops are killed in Jordan. You can't, don't use father and mother, son and daughter. Do not use brave men or even brave women because that will offend people and that you, you should not use those terms in the presence of others. Now, you wonder why the doors slam on this Secretary of State in conservative societies, uh, the, the places where we need to have a presence. Right, why, why no one in the Middle East wants to talk to him. That's exactly right. Um, and, and this is destroying, it's eating away at our Pentagon. Um, it is making us objects of ridicule. Another thing. So you, you, you mentioned at the beginning Putin taking advantage of Biden and his, his empty threats. Remember what this Secretary of State said after the, um, the Americans were killed in Jordan? That we would have a sustained campaign. Yeah, right. Two I, I, hours. Yeah. Two hours of response. A hundred and... 60 attacks. Well, it was, it was in the 170s by the time they responded that one time. Right. And then we respond with a couple of hours. Right. There's, no, there's been no sustained campaign. And, and the Houthis managed to cross right. the Gulf of Aden because the, I'm sure the rules of engagement for the United States Navy said you can't sink them when they're coming across. And now they bracket the Gulf of Aden and the, and the, uh, the Red Sea from both sides. I'm going to, have to say something that... It may sound a little bit um, cynical, but you were the man responsible for making sure all of our armed services were ready to go to war. You were in the Pentagon responsible for readiness. I have a strange kind of um, feeling that with things like that, the memo, don't say ladies and gentlemen, you can't say mother and father, that's actually really good because it leads to non-political individuals waking up to the insanity, but also there will be such a backlash that if, God willing, what happens happens in November, once you and others like you are there to assist President Trump, isn't there going to be such a desire to just set things straight? To use the phrase from popular culture, they've so jumped the shark yeah. that they're going to want you and the president to fix this. Well, this is, this is a repeat of that great speech that Nixon gave in 1971 that has been so misunderstood. When he talked about, he said, I'm speaking to you, the great silent majority. Yeah. 
Of course, after that speech, his popularity was at 68%. No president since has ever hit those heights. Sustained. Why was it not misunderstood? Because people thought he was talking about racial issues in the South. (laughs) Well, no, they didn't think that. They deliberately. Deliberately, right. What he was talking about were people responding to anti-American protests in the street. He was talking about American citizens standing up to the wave of crime that was hitting Democrat-run cities. <laughs> yeah. um, this is 53 years ago. And, and when he said that, it resonated. Um, he won 49 states the next year, and his popularity was at 70-something percent. And he vanquished the Blinkens of that time, the Bidens of that time. George McGovern and Frank Church and the rest of them. So this will be a redux of that? Yeah. Speaking to that silent majority. Is it fair to say, you always bring the historic perspective, is it fair to say that the left is factors more insane than they were? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because if you look at the Democratic Party at the time, and there's a fascinating book, book too. Um, One is called uh, the, 1968, the year that broke politics, mm. where Lyndon Johnson comes to the realization that half of his party's nuts. <laughs> and then um, Buchanan's books, The White House War, Nixon's White House War, where you have the President of the United States, Richard Nixon, and his friends in the Democratic Party, Humphrey, people like that yeah. who are saying, we can't allow George McGovern in the White House. Mr. President, is there anything we can do for you? Well, if I may, yeah. because this is massively important, yeah. people don't understand what the, what the White House Watergate tape is really about. Yeah. had nothing to do with the break-in. Right. What he said to the FBI can't investigate this issue was the Democrats who were making donations to Nixon's campaign, and he didn't want to embarrass them. Right. Nixon had no idea about the plumbers or no. the break-in. The, t- the missing tape and the don't tell the FBI was to protect the identity for totally gentlemanly reasons people, of Democrats. That's right. People like Hubert Humphrey. Yes. And Ed, Ed Muskie. Yes. Those people who realized the danger yeah. and they helped Nixon. But now... Those, the analog of those people do not exist on the left. Is that fair to say? That's right. That's exactly right. There's no sane Democrat uh, who, who, in I a position of power. Right, in a position. No. I mean, look at, look, at, look at the president and vice president. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you think, and of course, you, you know, <laughs> morally, we know what he is. But Bill Clinton wasn't insane. No. He would never he surrender. He's a very practical politician. Practical politician. Yes. He was. Yes. And... Um, and he, he, if he were around today, he'd reign in the loonies. Right. He, yeah. But he would, be, he would be considered persona non grata. Yeah. We could do this for hours, this man's sense of history. Uh, you're not supposed to do this in radio or on TV, but I do it when, when there's a reason to, especially in terms of the reaction garnered. So, uh, as I said, I flew to Oxford to give a, a speech on uh, the motion before the House was... This House fears the return of President Trump. I was, of course, arguing against the motion. I had 11 minutes to speak. Here is the last two sentences of what I had to say, which resonated with people. Because to quote the Marines, when we were in the White House, our friends felt safe 
and our enemies were afraid. Thank you. I got 140 kids in the heart of darkness, the heart of wokeism in Oxford to vote for President Trump. So I'm happy. I'm Never happy. again for king and country. <laughs> uh, let me ask you, it resonated because that's what we did back then. That's what you did in the cabinet. How much harder is it going to be after the preceding four years if, God willing, we win and the president comes back in. Because, you know, we did it under Reagan after the Carter years. Can you give us a sense of how doable the, the fix is? Well, I think the cultural fix can come quickly, meaning the DEI and that kind of thing that right. jettisoned right away. Um, it's going to take a little longer to restore a sense of team, physical fitness standards that meet the rigors, the intractable demands of combat, and a budget that's realistic, a budget that doesn't spend $14 billion on climate change and DEI and whatever, and getting Grant Sharps, who is the current defense minister of the United Kingdom, and he's said a lot of silly things, particularly when it comes to diversity. But he did say one thing. He said, we're now in a pre-war phase. And I agree with that. And I look at the UK where, you know, they have the smallest Navy since the reign of Charles II. Yeah. Um, and there are more active duty troops at Fort Bragg than there are in the British Army. Yeah. Or another example is there are more soldiers in the Alabama National Guard there are in the Canadian Army under Trudeau, too. Um, and this is, what, this is what President Trump was talking about. And I think Britt Hume hit it. He said, forget the rhetoric that comes when President Trump addresses an issue, but he was right about the Europeans. <laughs> They're not pulling their weight. And when you see things like Canada, when I was born, when you were born, Canada had the fourth largest army in NATO. It was a two-ocean power. And you talk about punching above its weight because it's a relatively small country, given the fact that it's the second largest land mass on the planet. We spend more on dependent health care at the Department of Defense than Germany and France spend on defense combined. I just remember when we were in the White House and the Chancellor um, Merkel was visiting with yeah. her national security advisor, and this is unclassified. And they were trying to berate us, saying, what do you mean we don't pull our weight in NATO? And then my colleague, Steve Bannon, said to, <laughs> said to the job delegation, you do understand the president's about to sign an incremental increase in the U.S. defense budget that is larger than your total defense budget. Yeah. We, the, the, the conversation ended at that point. Well, think about the Balkans. We had to put one brig German brigade on trucks because they didn't have transport to get from Germany to the then Yugoslavia. Um, it's an olive drab Meals on Wheels program. I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. <laughs> but it's true because their generals are saying it. They can't yeah. fight. Yeah. And That's a British you, reference, Meals on Wheels, by the way. And, you, and when, you, when you remove the greatest economic power in Europe from the equation, yeah. a country where only the U.S., China, and Japan are larger economies, yeah. and then the French, who are somewhere at sixth in terms of their economic power, 
that's a massive gap. And and what Trump is saying is the same thing that my former boss Bob Gates said, what Jesse Helms would say, yeah. what Ronald Reagan would say. Enough with the freeloaders. Yeah. Enough. They've the lived under the shield. It can be fixed, but only if we have the likes of Secretary Wilkie back in those poll positions. Read my list of who should be in the Trump cabinet for 2.0. It's on my Substack, the second Trump cabinet, SebastianGorka.substack.com. That's my whole name is one word, SebastianGorka.substack.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today. Send them to our website, townhallreview.com. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for joining us. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.